Welcome to another Join Our One on One football podcast. It's a pleasure today to introduce a player who has had an amazing football career in England and Australia. Spent 12 years at Sheffield United, making 349 appearances for the Blades. He was a mainstay mainstay in the middle of the park as Sheffield United gained promotion to the Premier League and he spent one season playing in the top tier of English football. From here, he moved to Australia, signing with the Central Coast Mariners. He made a total of 116 appearances, winning the grand final in 2013 and is now the head of football and elite development of the club. Welcome to the Joiner Football Podcast, Nick Montgomery. Yeah, there's a no, few there's... little few little stumbles in there. Yeah, a few little uh, <laughs> few errors in the appearances at Sheffield. I don't know. Everyone's yeah, going to get more. that wrong, but to be fair, really, yeah. you know, it was nearly 400, so I'm not sure where. Uh, Wiki's oh, miles sure off it. We got the Wiki's miles off it. Yeah. Almost 400, huh? Oh, yeah. did you really? Yeah, that's unbelievable. What a career. Oh, yeah, it was, uh, like I say, I mean, in terms of the stats and stuff, yeah, I think it was about 400, just short of 400. Okay. Is when, when I decided to move over to Australia. So, yeah, good, good innings, as I say. That's Thank it. you so yeah, much man. for coming on, um, Mont. You're, you're a legend, mate. And, uh, yeah, our podcast has started doing really well. We've got some amazing guests. So, again, I'm sure our listeners are going to get a lot out of this podcast. Um, so, yeah, I'm really looking forward to talking to you, mate. We've got some juicy questions for you today. Uh, me too, mate. You know, I've been, always been a big advocate of the stuff that you guys do, uh, obviously, since meeting you. Them years back when you came when you came to the Mariners, but now I think you know what you've done. You should be proud of what you've done. You've you really have set up something special and you know global global audience that that you've hit. And they say no doubt plenty of kids have, have taken a lot from the individual stuff that you guys are doing. Oh, thank you so much, mate. It, yeah, it means a lot. It's quite it's quite um, humbling, really, when we speak to all these professionals or ex-professionals on on the on what they've got to say about us and. It's amazing because we're just, you know, three passionate coaches um, like yourself, you know, and we're just lucky that we've we've grown in this way. But I actually want to talk about when we first met. Uh, that's how I want to start the podcast because I Go remember I remember me and Shano getting the nod to come on trial for the Central Coast Mariners. Yeah, and, trial. Um, trial, Larry. Trial, yeah. Definitely a trial. Um, and I walked on, I was like, oh, Nick Montgomery there. Obviously, I knew a little bit about your background and stuff, so I thought, the person I am, I thought, sod it. I'm going to sit sit close to him and just ask, ask him questions. And I just remember you reeling off. I knew you were going to do that. <laughs> but uh, I remember I remember you reeling off some incredible stories, which we can get to a bit later on. But um, yeah, I remember sitting next to you on the bus and we just hit it off straight away, really. But it was, it was quality. Oh, look, I think, you know, throughout my career, you know, even at Sheffield coming over here, players would come on trial, new players would come and... To be honest, I always thought it was you know, my job to make a few people feel welcome because Shane will tell you back in the day, it was pretty ruthless, you know, uh, at Sheffield. Young boys would come up through the system and like it was pretty ruthless. The first team boys would test you every day and, you know, they're testing your character. But I think generations change a little bit and I think nowadays it's a little bit more, you know, you see the management styles have changed with Klopp and Guardiola. It's a little bit more man management and, and you know, making people feel comfortable and confident but you know there is still a place for uh, that ruthlessness that, that I grew up in um, but look whenever anyone new came like I said I'm you know I'm just a, a normal guy from uh, from Leeds you know, my, my parents are working class and you know, I just just like everybody else the kids you train I had a dream to play at the top level um, and, and I managed to do it so like you say you know no one's any different nobody's anyone different we're all, we're all people we all love the same game 
So I think it's always good to pass on experience to, to, to younger players and players that want to get to where I managed to get. So it's uh, you know, something I've always given time to mentoring other people. No, it was good. It definitely helped me settle in. And, and I know Shane will probably say the same thing. But yeah, it was it was a strange time considering you know I've played at an all right level back in the UK as well. But we'll get to that a little bit later on. Um, but yeah, no, I noticed that straight away with, with yourself. It Like you were really approachable and we were just reeling off the chat and stuff. And obviously the trial didn't go to plan for me and Shane, which maybe we could uh, have a chat about that again. Yeah. Oh, I mean, look, the A-League, you know, when I came out to the A-League, the league was really, really doing well. I think you guys can remember the year I came out, Del Piero came out as well at the same time. Um, and look, the league was really going places. It started to gather a little bit of momentum. Um, and then, obviously, that season I came out here, uh, Graham Arnold signed me. And it was, you know, um, I wanted to come out, we're looking for a player like you, experienced leader, never won the grand final. We've missed out twice. And, you know, I'll be totally honest with you, I was a little bit, I didn't really know that much about the A-League in terms of the results and who'd won what. Um, so, look, there was always a slight connection with Sheffield United and the Mariners. Shane, I'll tell you, when he was there, there's a couple of boys came over. And look, I thought I got to 13 as a real challenge. So, I came out here um, and to be honest, I really enjoyed it that first season. The A-League is, is a good league. It's obviously good stadiums, uh, training facilities, no, not what they are in the UK. I think some are really pushing on now. But look, the league was really going places and started to gain some momentum. But then after that season, since then, it's, you know, for me, it's sort of slowly started to get less and less uh, of, a, of the good product it was that season. And then we find ourselves where we are now, which is obviously amid this COVID thing where everybody's, everything's up in the air. There's arguments between Fox Sports and FFA and the, and the A-League club. So look, maybe it's a good thing down the line. Uh, but I think, look, during that time when you guys came on trial, I think the club had sort of uh, gone through a little bit of a transition period. Uh, Graham Arnold had left. I think uh, he gave his assistant the, the, the job at the time. Um, and I think he moved on and, and someone else came in. I think it was Wormsley when you came on trial. So, look, again, the club out here in the A-League, you, you guys know you coach out here. There's technically some good players. Uh, you're looking at the A-League, there's, there's, there's a lack of top A-League players, which is why... You see so many regurgitated around the different clubs. And I think with the semi-pro level over here and the training two, three times a week, Max, which is MPL level, a lot of coaches are sort of, you know, they're not confident in, in going and picking three or four boys from MPL because, you know, football is elite level is, you know, you guys know elite level, you have to be super fit. You have to be super strong. And that's before you even get into the technical aspect of it. So again, Going and getting four or five players that have, have spent the last four years playing semi-pro, which is obviously a lot lower intensity, uh, training three or four times a week and, and, and working as well to bring someone into an environment and go, right, we expect you to, to, to meet these standards. I mean, look, you're talking a lot of players, it takes, takes years to get up to that level and then the, the, the key is staying there. You know, what are you going to do to stay there? Are you going to eat properly? Are you going to sleep properly? And then all of a sudden, everything comes into it, all them sacrifices you need to make and it's hard. It's hard for MPL boys to do that because they can't sacrifice everything. They can't sacrifice work. They have to work. Yeah. They have to pay the bills. So again, it's just a bit of a. It's a tough thing. I've only really seen a couple of boys come from MPL, and actually do okay in the A League. And, and mm. it's easier for everyone to sit out there and say, "Ah, he's better than him. He's better than him." 
But I think a lot of time his, his, his players need a bit more time and you know, football is football. Coaches don't have six months, two years to develop five or six players. So what's the quick fix? Let's go and get someone that's just been done the season in the A-League, trained every day. He's nice and fit. You know, is, he, is he a good player? Is he better than what's in NPL? No, I don't think they are. I think there's some good players in NPL level. Um, but like you say, when you come in on trial, you've got to be ready to play straight away. You've got to be at a level where you're pushing boys that are in your position. And, you know, in a week or two week trial, it's hard. You know, it's hard unless you come and just mm. absolutely outstanding every day. But leading up to that, you know, are a lot of people expected to, to come and train at an early club or is it some, something where you're playing well at MPL level and all of a sudden you get an agent says, come in and trial and, you know, are you ready for it? Are you, are you at peak fitness? You know, are you mentally ready for it? And, and these are all the things that I think is really hard when you're coming on a short trial. And, you know, like I say, when you guys come in, it's a good experience. Maybe, you know, maybe at that time you need a little bit of luck. Two players in your position get injured, whatever, and, and, and you're there and, mm. and the manager likes you. But I say a lot of the time it's, you know, they come in, they have a look, the boys do well. But, you know, unless you're actually going to push for an early contract straight away. And again, you guys know once you get over 21 in Australia, it's either an early contract or, or nothing. So it's not as if you can say, listen, come in and train. We'll give you, like they do in Europe, we'll give you a couple of, you know, 100 bucks a week, whatever. Come and train with us for a couple of months. Let's have a look at you. You know, you can't do that. So, again, there's a lot of restrictions and, and, and a lot of it doesn't make sense. And I've been here seven years and I still don't understand a lot of it. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think, like, obviously not making an excuse um, for me and Shane, but I think because uh, when I first came to Australia I, I, it took me ages to get around the rules like the different rules and regulations but um, obviously not trying to make excuses but the second I knew there was a visa rule um, and I wasn't an Australian resident at the time I, I knew that I'd have to be I would have to be incredible to try and get a contract because I think there was three or four boys already signed I think it's five visa rules yeah uh, five visa visas players. yeah look yeah. Jonah, that's a that's a that's the great the great point what you just mentioned then you know if you are a foreigner coming over the whole point for me again bringing bringing visa players over to play in front of Australian boys then again what do they bring you know are they going to help the Aussie boys develop um you know are they going to mentor them you know, are they setting standards that that you know that I felt I set when I came out? Because at the end of the day, when you when you played at the top level, if you can bring them standards with you and drag people people along with you, then you're helping them out. But look, I've seen over the years some foreigners come to the A League, and for me, nowhere near as good or, or better than than the Australian boys. And then you get you know they get bigger salaries, and you know the five visa spots. Look, the teams that use them well are your big teams, your Sydney's, your Melbourne Victories. You know, West Sydney's at times, but a lot of people have got them wrong as well. You know, there's a lot of players, visa players that have come out with big reputations and actually failed because maybe they come out with the wrong, wrong mindset. You know, there is challenges over here. You've got the, the travel, you're flying. You know, one thing I found quite hard was, you, you know, Shane, I'll tell you again, England Championship Premier League, you're playing three games a week. You're playing Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday. So in terms of training everything's at high intensity but then you have recovery days and then you're preparing for a game and I came out here and it was like play a game well firstly the, the pre-season was 14 weeks long or something ridiculous <laughs> right. and I'm just and luckily I came towards the end of that first season so I never really experienced it um, and I came from having a pre-season in England which you, know, I, you guys know is ridiculously hard and I was always you know super fit anyway so I came out here and the season started and to be honest it was the whole week, you've got the whole week to prepare for one game. 
and at times I felt it was over coaching. Um, you know, lost that element a little bit of high intensity, um, small sided games. You know, uh, things that I was used to, and a lot of the times a lot of standing around. Um, you know, obviously it's a nice climate. You're not standing around in, in, in the cold weather. I love them. I, I love me. You know, it, it was a little bit more. You know, tactical. Let's work out tactics and. You know, at the end of the day, tactics are one thing. Over here, I did learn more tactically because you're playing in 35, 40 degree heat. So you can't play like you play in England and Europe where it's We're, we're, we're watching it an hour. Yeah. The teams will blow up. So there was a lot of changes. And, and, and I think, again, adapting to that changes, I think a lot of foreigners have struggled to do that. Mm. Surely, surely you don't know about tactics working under Warnock. Uh. Listen, again, tactics. You know, people laugh at Neil Warnock and Shane I'll tell you, mate, for me, the guy was a genius. Like, he was, he was a crazy genius. But, you know, he, oh, he was class, man. Look, he gave me my debut at 17, 18. I played, you know, seven years under him, promotion, FA Cup semi-finals, League Cup semi-finals. And people see on YouTube what, again, that, that's what people want to see. They want to see him going off his head. You know, at we'll, time, be sh- but, we'll be showing that later. We'll be showing that later. It's but you so- don't want to... But there's times when he'd have a laugh, you know, he'd come in and you talk about man management and, like, for me, mm. getting into team coaching is different from you guys, but when you get into team coaching, 80, 90% of it for me is managing people. You know, it's, it's man managing. Can you get the best out of people? You know, can you identify players that need an arm around and need to kick up the arse? And, you know, Warnock is unbelievable at that and some of the some of the some of the stories I could tell you I look back now and just think wow at the time you're just thinking what's the guy doing but then his thought process behind it was was genius but you know tactically he knew what everyone knew what we had to do you know on an individual stuff he had <laughs> Kevin Blackall with him. A he was a, a, top a, coach, a top coach like high intensity um, you know he drive the players not always the most popular against amongst the players plenty of arguments saying I'll tell you but it was just it was just ruthless, and uh, one thing during Warnock and any team that he's coached, no team wants to play against you because they know you're going to run, uh, run for the full game, and know that you're not going to, you know, you're not going to lie down if you concede a goal. The amount of times we came back after conceding a goal at Bramall Lane, it was just, I don't know, he just, he was, he was so competitive. He just wanted to win everything. That that's infectious, and his man management for me was was top class. I can't wait. We we we, we want to ask you about a few of them stories later on, but. <laughs> I I want them all. I want them all. This is what people tune in for. We we obviously have like since um, the Gail Cliche podcast, we've hit the roof, but yeah. we obviously have a lot of aspiring footballers as well. So we're going to ask you like a, a mixture of questions. But I can't wait to get into some of them Warnock stories, mate. Oh, like, on, classics. I, I I do want to talk about like um, your career. Then I, I want to go back to the early days. You were offered a two-year scholarship at Sheffield United, and I just obviously want to talk about how that come about. How did you get offered that? And um, a little bit about when you were a scholarship. For me, when I was a, a YT at Wrexham, it was one of the best times I ever had um, oh, as yeah, a footballer. Easy. So I, wa- I wanted to ask you how your scholarship came about at Sheffield United and what was that like? Look, we'll take it right back to the start. You know, I, I came from a family that no one played football. Uh, my dad never kicked a ball, obviously. Uh, none, of the, none of my family and a lot of times you know, Shane will tell you in Ireland everyone grows up with the football but I didn't come from a family that played football but at a young age I just realised that I was just obsessed with football and I started just kicking a ball against the wall in the street and again that's some of that that I think is lost nowadays the street football aspect and I'll just be out there every day just kicking against the wall left foot, right foot 
uh, neighbours going crazy, um, you know, complaining to my parents that it's still dark and I'm kicking the ball and the kids are trying to sleep. And, you know, th th these are things that you guys will, will probably remember yeah, as well. Definitely. And um, look, I got to about 10, started playing football, uh, you know, really enjoyed it. I was always just a bag of energy, quite small. I was always small throughout my career, to be honest. Um, and look, uh, I got picked up by Leeds United when I was about 10. Um, through playing for Leeds City Boys, which was like the, the best kids from all the schools in Leeds would get put together. I know there was obviously one in Liverpool as well and, and, and all over. So a lot of them kids were the best kids at the time in the schools. And to be honest, that was a, that was a great time um, in terms of enjoying football and playing with different kids from different schools. And during that time, a lot of scouts, you'd always remember a scout, it's a bit different now, they sit in the stand with a suit on, but back in the day, they had the long umbrella jacket on and like the little badge from the club and the, the buzz would go around the changing room, it would be someone say, oh, I've just seen a Man United scout, it's a lead scout here and wow. the boys would just be like, some would buzz, some would be buzzing, or some would just crumble a bit of pressure, the parents putting pressure on them and telling them there's a scout here, you better play well, but you know, I never had that, my mum and dad didn't care, they just liked, you know, supporting me and, what I was doing so yeah I just remember numerous scouts sort of saying to my mum and dad uh, you know can we speak to Nick I want to get him in on trial and again the first one I saw I went was was Leeds United which obviously from Leeds big club um, and I went there and they sort of offered me uh, you know schoolboy terms at the time so look I spent five years there. I was there from 10 till I was 15 um, and then towards the end of that season when you're leaving school at 16, uh, you guys remember as well, you, you start thinking, oh, I want to get a scholarship and people are asking you at school, what do you want to do? And I always just said, I want to be a footballer. So if, in and around that time, um, I had glandular fever. So if anyone's had glandular fever and any kids listening out there, uh, you know, I, it's quite bad. It's an illness where you're constantly drained of energy. And, you know, for me, it was, it was a real battle because... Every month, I'd, I'd come down with like a, a real lethargic lack of energy. And mm. once it got diagnosed as glandular fever, it then it then moved on to look. You need to get your tonsils out. So that last year before I left school, I missed quite a lot of football at Leeds, and Leeds were flying in the Champions League. Obviously, the Kiel Vidu because uh, you know Alan Smith, they were flying and uh, pushing, pushing uh, in the Champions League. And Leeds became a massive club virtually um, within six months. And they were getting trialists in from Scotland, Ireland every week uh, mm. in terms of the local boys would train twice a week and then all of a sudden 25 trialists arrive on the weekend to play in the game against Man United and as a local boy you're thinking, well, I don't want to be here just to train, I want to play in the game. So got to a yeah. stage where I sort of spoke to my parents and said, you know, maybe I need to move on and go and lock in a scholarship now before I leave school and then I know exactly what I want to do. So... Leeds didn't say they were going to. They weren't going to give me one. They didn't say they were going to. Um, but I spoke to Paul Hart, who was the the head of the academy at the time. Obviously, went on to coach Notts Forest and and some big clubs. And look, I just said to him, I feel that like I've been here for five years, but you know maybe I, I need to look elsewhere. And they sort of said, look, if you want to leave, that's fine. Uh, we can't guarantee you're going to get a scholarship. So uh, I came out and spoke to my mum and said, you know what, I'm going to ask for a release. And back in the day, it wasn't like now where you flick an email and, and you text someone or you know you send your CV. I think my mum actually wrote a letter, God bless her. Um, she wrote a letter to five or six local clubs, literally. Uh, no my Nick, yeah, my son Nick, he's been at Leeds five years. Uh, this, he loves football, wants to get a scholarship when he leaves school and, and sent it off. Um, and I reckon wow. 
about a week after, uh, I had about three or four different replies. Some saying no, some saying yes. Um, and Sheffield United came back and said, can you come next week? We're having a trial game. And that was it. Um, you know, wow. so I, I grabbed my there boots. There you go, Blades fans. Blades yeah, fans. So I grabbed my boots and arrived at, at the game. And at the time, obviously, Phil Jagielka was there, being released from Everton. You know, Ooh. some big players, Man United, who's played for Man United, Chelsea. So again, you know what happens in England. It's ruthless. There is every kid in, in England wants to be a footballer. So if you get released from a big club, agents will grab everybody's name and all of a sudden, you know, they'll, they'll fire off names to get you at these trial games. So, you know, you're not only going to compete with the Sheffield United players that are there at the time, that have probably been through the academy like I was at Leeds. You're competing with players released from Man United, Man City, Chelsea, Everton. So all of a sudden, it's, you've got one game, you know, you've got one game, it's 11 v 11, you don't know anybody. There's your number, number on the back of your shirt, you know, and, and the coach is standing on the sideline. So for me, I'd always been, I felt a team player um, and I just took it as an opportunity. I thought, you know what, I've, I've been through a lot with the illness. This is an opportunity for me. I'm going to grab it. So I just remember just, just running around like a madman, to be honest, tackling people, <laughs> passing, you know, just, just, <laughs> just you know, and, and you did, there was a lot of players that, I look back and think individually they've been released from Man United. No, they were there, no. technically very good, but in the game they didn't grasp that it was, you know, it, it was someone looking at, you know, what is this kid got the right character? You know, uh, can he make it a professional? You know, everyone's been released from 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 other clubs as well. So for whatever reason, other clubs had seen that, you know, maybe you know, opinion is he's not going to make it. Um, and there was a lot of kids who were individually getting the ball, dribbling and losing the ball. And the next time they do the same thing. And, you know, that was never me. I was always a team player. So I just remember after that game, thought I'd done okay. And Russell Slade, who's a, the coach at the time. Uh, I don't know if you remember Russ. Was he there when you were there, Shana? No, so big, bald head, big, big guy. Uh, went on to coach Yeovil Town. And uh, I think he spent time at Forest, Notts County. Good guy, but pretty ruthless. Um, and I just remember him, he had a piece of paper, I think he called five of us over. It was me, uh, Phil Jagelka, two lads that I think were released from Man United. Um, and he just said, look, uh, you guys want to offer you a scholarship? Um, and I was just a bit like, wow, you know. I actually remember saying, I'd promised an Ipswich scout uh, that I would go down to Ipswich. And I sort of said to him, I'm supposed to go to Ipswich and I just remember his words. He said, well, listen, it's there today. You've got 24 hours. If you don't want it, don't take it. It'll be gone. And I just went, I'll sign it. So that was it. Oh I signed it and that was that was me signing a scholarship, leaving school at 16, knowing that I drove home that day and I was preparing life to to, to be a footballer. So it was it was an amazing experience, but, to be honest. But, I love but stories. But that's like, like um, I love it. what we always say, like you got you got your chance to go there for that game. And you obviously took your chance, you know, like your life would have been so different if you would have gone there and, you know, you would have stunk the house out. You know? oh, no, no, so no honestly, you seriously, know, like, say if you have a bad game there, your yeah. life looks a lot different than what it does now. For sure, for sure. I think always need a little bit of luck again, right place, right time. I'm, I'm a big believer in that. And everything football's about opinions, you know, everyone's got a different opinion. But what I do think most people have the right opinion on is character is the things that I think define you as a player and, and give you a step on, on, on a lot of other players. So, you know, I always look to, to people like Russell Slade. He saw me, he saw Phil Jagelka. No, Jags went on to play for England, 10 years at Everton, captain. So people have got an ability to see something in you. And again, then it comes down to belief, but 
then I, then as an individual, it's up to you to to grasp that opportunity because so many players that I played with were given an opportunity, and but it's not for everybody. Some people come caught with the pressure. Some people come caught with the lifestyle, that the, the sacrifice that you need to make to to make it at the top. And for me, that that moment, you know, I remember driving back with my mum, just saying, you know what, I'm, I'm leaving school. I'm going to be a footballer, and I was just absolutely buzzing. So yeah. from that. You know, I left school and all the teachers, I went to a school, to be honest, that was at the time, you know, it was in a rough area of Leeds. People used to steal cars and drive them around on the, on the football pitch. Like you should have. Up, everyone would be up at the window, banging on, banging on the window. And, you know, like, like I said, I did come from, uh, in England, a lot of people here are a little bit, you know, they think a rough area here is a rough area because there's people having a drinks on the street. But, you know, where you guys have come from, where we've come from, a rough area in Leeds is, I used to, you know, there'd be a gang of kids chasing you to steal your bike or to steal your trainers, whatever <laughs> it was. I think that's where I became fit because mm. I was always running <laughs> up and I think they got used to not chasing me. But not only that, my brother was a fighter, a street fighter. And, you know, to be honest, he protected me at school. So, look, I always wanted to be a footballer. I had the tunnel vision. Um, and mm. I said leaving school at 16 was was awesome. But like you said, Jonah, then, then it... I moved into digs. There was 10, 10 lads in there. Um, you know, we had a bus pass. We used to go on the bus to Sheffield. To what digs did you stay at, We I stayed in Eccles or Road. Because I used I used, well, to, um, I used to stay in Jag. Jags's old room was my room. When he, when he, yeah. When okay, he moved so. out, I moved into the little box room. Yeah. Yeah. So me and Jags oh. stayed together for years, and then we moved. I think moved to another digs, and then from there, I think I bought a house. Jags moved in with me. So we, I mean, look, we spent a lot of time together. But look, got, take, getting our scholarship at, at, and going to Sheffield again. You leaving home again? It wasn't something where my parents. I saw them every day. I, only when I got the, the train back to Leeds, I'd see them. You know, they worked. They worked hard, six, seven days a week at times, twelve-hour shifts. And uh, I just remember, you know, first time just walking into Bramwell Lane, just looking up at the stand, thinking, "Wow, like I want to play here. Like I want to walk out the tunnel as a first-team player." And, you know, just just quickly skim over it. Like my first two years as an apprentice was was really tough. Um, you're talking, you got kids. Like I say, you got kids that are there already in the academy. They see you coming up. They don't want you to take their place. And to be honest, the first year I brought my ankle. So you talk about having a bit, having bad luck, a little bit of adversity. But I brought my ankle in my first year playing against Bradford City. Um, and I remember I had to have an operation, dislocated. I had pins in it. I had wire. And I remember the surgeon saying, wow, you, you know, you, you've, you've done your ankle pretty bad. Um, you know, and when I told him I was a footballer, he sort of said, oh, well, hopefully you'll get back to playing again. And I just remember thinking, wow, like when you just started, now someone's telling me hopefully you get back to playing wow. again. So that was my first year. And I came back from that. Um, I had wires in my ankle. I could feel it like I could feel the wires like burning across my flesh. So I had to go back in, get it taken out. Um, you know, anyone that's had operations, a lot of time they leave the screws in, they leave the wire. But I just said, you need to take it out. It was just irritating me all the time. So I had that wow. taken out, <coughs> got back playing, and then second year apprentice, I was I was flying again. You got two years to to get a professional contract. So like everything, you talk about pressure. Your first year they let you settle in a bit. Your second year they're driving you because at the end of the day, you know, you could be in the first team at 17, 18. And they're pushing, you know, they're pushing you to see your breaks, to see who's got the right character. Mm. And I was flying, doing really well. Um, and I just remember going back to Diggs one day. Um, 
I just felt really sick. I had the worst headache. Like to this day, you can't explain it. It was just this throbbing headache. Um, and the guy that lived in digs with me, I said, my up all night. I, we had a game the next day and literally all night I was up. I was throwing up to the point of the next morning, I was the only one that drove. So I passed my test at 17. My dad was a driving instructor. So I taxi <laughs> everybody around. <laughs> Love it. And I got up that morning. I was that sick, but my mate Spen, who I lived with, he goes, mate, you're going to have to drive me to the ground. I'm like, do you know what? I'll have to get up. So I dragged myself out of bed. I'm going, I'm saying, I'm going to play. I'll be all right. I'll get down there. I'll have some water. I'll feel better. I got down there and I seen the coach and he said, wow, you look horrific. Um, I said, oh, I've been up in the night. He went, listen, doctor's here. The doc said, get yourself, get yourself home. So I drove home back to the digs, got in bed. Um, I just remember thinking, wow, I, I've never felt this bad. And I rang the doc. I said, mate, you're going to have to come out and see me. Um, all I remember was just being in an ambulance, shooting to Sheffield Children's Hospital, um, and then waking up about a week later and finding out that I had um, C-strain meningitis, which is like the, the, the bacterial version of it, which is, you know, people lose their legs, lose their arms. So I remember waking up and my mum and dad were there and it was, you know, wow, you, you just, you know, you are really sick. Wow. Wow. So That's it was, yeah. So it was a it was a crazy time, and I was actually in the hospital on my 18th birthday. Um, I've actually got an article that was in in the newspaper. I was looking at it the other day. So you know, after the first year breaking ankle, second year having meningitis, and you know, anyone will tell you that you know it's a, it's a brain disease where your brain swells, and it's just horrific. I mean, look again. I thank God every day that I didn't get septicemia and lose a leg or an arm, which a lot of babies do, and even adults and, and older. And all the kids, so it was a it was a bit like you know what is someone telling me that you shouldn't be a footballer or is it just bad luck? Um, but I just never ever doubted myself, and you know I just thought you know what I, I've had this tough time, and I didn't want anyone to feel sorry for me. So I remember literally getting back playing, um, suffering from insomnia, not sleeping properly, um, you know, wide awake at night because again, when your brain swells, it just creates all sorts of different effects. Um, I had a big bald patch of hair, like alopecia, just for some reason. I had a big bald patch of hair just came off the side of my head. Um, so, yeah, it was like I, I got myself back fit, got myself back fit, got the energy, um, and just started flying. And, and to be honest, like it was, um, you know, I, I got back playing and, and, and doing really well. And Warnock sort of came in during that time. So he'd not really seen what had gone on, you know, the first two years. All he cared about was he was coming in. He was a winner. He wanted people and characters that are, that are going to win. Um, and I just remember started playing in reserves back in back in the day. There was reserve football, which you know, I, again I think is a massive loss in a lot of countries because you're getting players coming down from the first team that are not playing, plus the best young lads. And it's you know what boys, you step up, they'll help you, and you're going to play against reserves of all the other first teams. So mm. I actually really enjoyed playing playing the yeah, reserve games. 100%. Yeah, I so did as well. I remember doing that as well. It was massive. I just want to go back to just like the dig side of thing because I feel like when you move away from home, there's a huge difference, not just as a footballer, but you have to learn quickly to live on your own, you know, deal with everything on your own, basically. You haven't got your parents, you haven't got your, your, your brother or sister there. Um and I know when I was a YT at Wrexham, there was a lot of players that just quit. They were, they were good players as well, but they couldn't handle looking after themselves, training every day. Or, or, and you've, you've mentioned a few times that football's not for everyone, you know. 
Um, do you think? Do you think that is like you know being a YT, moving out, living on your own? I feel like it's a big thing that's that's lacking here, maybe in Australia for for players. So that's where I learned a lot about as a footballer, you know. Ah, hundred percent. Like again, this is something that I've talked about many times. You see everybody coming out now in Australia. You know, there's no young players coming through, and I've seen it. Like I came. Don't forget, I came that year. You know, Tommy Rodgick, Matty Ryan, Trent Sainsbury. You know, but we had a good bunch of experienced players. It was me, John Hutchinson, Patrick Svanswijk, Milis Dijovsky. Like we pushed them boys hard. You know, we pushed them boys hard. We supported them. You know, we taught we, we taught them what what it was to be a footballer and. I just remember remember coming over and just just coming over here and seeing kids. Just I don't know. I just couldn't understand how the young boys didn't train every day, and and again getting your head around it. And, and it's easy now to say, oh, you know, the AIS shut down, and and obviously with Duke Q and all them boys. Like it's true because they were the best kids from around the country that got put into one facility where they had the coaching, they had the S and C, they had the dietitians. You know, so not only getting the best players, you're chucking them in an environment that's away from home. They have to learn, you know, but they got competitive. As well. They got specialists in every every area of their game, and, and that's something that's massively lacking. But, here, but, but since the AAS is closed, Australia's probably struggled to produce like a, a world class player like Vidu Gankul and stuff like that, you know. I think that goes back to the chain of what 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 uh, Jonah just said then. And you know, remember in England, you leave you come away from home, you got to, you got you got to mm. grow up quickly. You know, we used to clean yeah. boots, we used to sweep the stands. You know, I remember. I remember being an apprentice, you know, you, you, we used to get, before the new training ground at Chef U, we used to get trained, at, we used to get changed at Bramall Lane in the Wayne dressing room. We used to get on a minibus up to the training ground and you could not leave, not one person could leave, not one person until Russ and Steve Miles, the assistant had come in, they checked that the changing room was spotless, the rubbish bins had been taken out. There wasn't one dirt, one speck of dirt on the floor, there wasn't one piece of kit lying around and if they came in and saw that, you know, there was a little bit of dirt in the corner. They just knocked the bucket over and it said, do it again, not good enough. And again, you're like, you're like, yeah. just going, I want to get home. Well, it's four o'clock in the afternoon. I've been in since eight o'clock in the morning. We've had two sessions. We've had a little bit of lunch, but they're the things that, 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 that build your character. And I remember just saying, you know, I, I look back then, I think, you know what? I probably had stuff then where people looked at me and thought, you know, probably one day I could be a captain because I'd be the one that said, boys, listen, get on with it. You do this, you do that, and I like to delegate jobs, and we do it again, you know. Until that, you know, Russ came in and said, "You know what? Happy that boy. See you later." And you know, sometimes that they did it, even though there was nothing wrong with the floor. Yeah, they did it, knowing that. they're coming in there, knowing that they're going to find the fault with it. And as a player, you go in. You know, some of them would whinge, and not you, John. I, I, I played with plenty that quit. It was too hard yeah. for them to quit. You know, they missed been away from the parents. They didn't like the food. You know, it wasn't. And and again, like you said, it's not for everybody. And Elite level, elite level is dog eat dog, and and I don't see that over here. It's that's one thing that's missing. But there is no full time environments over here. You got private mm. academies where, again, you know, you're not playing really competitive games, but you're trying to get people players in. But again, it's funded, so parents are paying money, and and, and you got so many issues over here that I see every day. And like you said, that driving the players and. And, and they get it too. They get it too easy here. I'm always saying to my boys that I coach under 23s, under 20s boys, you get it too easy. This is how it should be. So try and educate them on what it, what it's like to be a professional footballer, what it takes. Some of them take it, and and, and there's been unbelievable improvements. And 
some of them don't and the ones that don't you know they're there because the mum and dad have paid money for them and been in academy and you know it stops them getting a job they can you know not get a job for an extra year or two years and say they're a footballer and for me that's what I find hard to 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 get in my head over here but look it is the way it is hopefully now things can change but without without investment into youth I don't see how there's going to be players developed because like you said living away from home accommodation food education you know, you can put all that together, but it costs money over here. So to mm. do that, and the clubs are not willing, the clubs over here are not willing to put money into that. You look at the, I always look at the teams over here that spend big money. You know, your Sydney's, your Victories, your Perths. You know, they're spending two, three, four million on marquee players and, and and visas. And I think, why don't you just use one million of that to put into the academy? You know, get some accommodation. Um, you know, feed the boys. You could train them twice a day. Give them some money because. You remember in England, Shane, you know, and, and all over Europe, you train in the morning, sometimes you train in the afternoon. I remember like, I remember me and Jags, we'd hang about at the training ground and the physio would be doing a session with some injured boys and you'd stick your boots back on and join in because you just didn't want to be away from the training ground where here, they're coming in the morning, you've got two hours with them before they have to go to school, they have to go to work, you know, majority of them. And like you said, that's not, if you can't manage their environment, Unfortunately, you know, the player, most players over here at a young age, you can't trust them to go home and eat the right food, to, to, to sleep properly. And again, you talk That's about educating point. people, like, you know, it, it's hard. It's hard, it's hard unless you can control them in that environment. It's something that you can't do. Monty, you mentioned before about um, your, your promotion to the Premier League. And I want to I ask you the same question as I asked Adam LaFondra, just to see what the, the same answer is. So what is the difference between the Championship and the Premier League? I just think the whole product. I mean, look, for me, the Championship is probably one of the hardest leagues in the world. I spent most of my career in the Championship, but in the Premier League, just the product. Every week, it's like it's like a Hollywood of football. You know, you arrive there, the stadiums are packed, like literally packed. It's, it's, you know, it's just your match of the day. You know, all them things that as a kid you dream of. And then when you stood in the tunnel, you know, you're walking out and, you're talking the best players in the world. You know, I'm, I'm lucky I played against, for me, some of the best players in the world and, and, and in the Premier League era where, you know, you had your Arsenal, your Invincibles and your Man United's and, and your Ronaldo's and just in the tunnel walking out with, with them players. You know, that's what you dream of as a kid and that's the sort of time where after everything I've done, you know, you, you're standing there, you've earned the right to be there and it's, you know, what it's, it's the best feeling in the world because being a footballer, if you love football, is the best feeling in the world and playing it at the highest level is is something that you dream of. Would you say it's more like technically then because Lafondre actually said it, that the championship is a harder league than the Premier League because he was saying that you'd go to the top clubs in the Premier League and it would just wouldn't even touch the ball sometimes. You wouldn't right, even touch it. it. It's, uh, listen, the, the Premier League, for me, you got more time on the ball in the Premier League because tactically they were that astute that they'd let you have the ball and then when they won the ball the transition to attack is just ridiculous like in terms of two passes it's in the back of your goal whereas in the championship it's it's a hundred mile an hour it's it's every week anyone can beat anybody and again the teams that are physically stronger and there's top top players in the championship that could easily play in the Premier League but it's just so fast and ferocious whereas the Premier League again it's more it's more a little bit more tactical but the quality of players man I mean some of the some of the players I played against, you just when you actually play against them, you just you you just come off just going, wow, what a player? What 
like Mons, what team was like? What team just was unbelievable, mate? Just like bopped it about, and you were like, "Oh my god, I can't get near these today." Oh look, I mean, Arsenal. Back in the day, Arsenal. I mean, we had some. Um, Shane, I'll tell you, we had some unbelievable battles with Arsenal. We we actually, I think they hated playing against us when it was at Sheffield. We saw we used to drill them in the cup a lot. We, we obviously they, they beat us in the semi final of the FA Cup um, back in the day. But look, you're talking Burkamp, Vieira, Fabregas. Oh. You know, they're them players, but. You know, and not only that, man, obviously Man United, your Paul Scholes, your, your Ronaldo's, playing against them, you just at, at times, like you said, you can you can you think you're in the game, you think you're in the game, and then all of a sudden Rooney just turns it on Ronaldo, and you go one 0 down. At that at that point, you're just going one 0 down against Arsenal or Man United. Like, how are we going to get back into this? And you got two ways to go. And to be fair, that season in the Premier League, uh, we should have stayed up. Again, we can talk about that injustice. Uh, the Carlos Tevez shambles that should never happen. But you know, we, we went toe to toe with Arsenal, we beat Arsenal at home, you know, we drew Man United, you know, we only lost narrowly away from home, but just just the quality and and, and if you give up and again you see it every week in the Premier League, some of them teams they go one, two, no down and it's they just they crumble and all of a sudden they just sit deeper and deeper and it's just a matter of time. Mm. You know, players at that level can score from anywhere, you know, set piece, corner, uh, build up around the box, whatever and and it's like you just sit there to get beat. You watch Man City sometimes and you just go and go and attack them. Just go yeah, and have yeah. a go. And I watched yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. And to be fair, like they went out Man City. They got done with a dodgy goal. Um, but I think you've got to just, again, the teams that tend to do well in the championship, just just go for it. The teams that sit back and are a bit nervous. And again, you know, I don't feel like they probably believe they should be there. The ones that get relegated. That, I reckon that's why Sheffield United are doing so well this year. Because they're going and having a go teams. And, you know... And they're not like that normal championship team coming into the Premier League and, and just sitting there and just waiting to get beat. Where Sheffield United are going and trying to beat teams, you know? Oh, 100%. I, I spoke to Chris Wilder probably, was it last week or the week before? And we talked about his journey of of, of how he's got where, where he has. And you know, it wasn't an easy journey, but like in terms of the players, he, he did say, and I do believe that there's a lot of similarities in this squad than there were in the squad that, that I was promoted with. Um, in terms of the character, in terms of the togetherness of the boys, and you talk about the culture, and 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 you know, Chris will tell you that probably the biggest thing he changed when he went back into Sheffield was he put the culture back to how it was, you know, when when we were successful there. Because I think the club lost that for a while, and I think clubs can lose that for five, six, seven years. Some clubs never get it back, but what he did was he brought it back, and from that the success came, the promotions, and they've just been unbelievable this season to watch. Yeah, right. That that's. Unbelievable. So your mate, your mates are Chrissy Wilder then know some people you, Monty. Uh, listen, when I, when I left school at 16, he was a player at Sheffield. So again, I was Get him on the podcast, <laughs> Monty. Get your phone book out. Get your phone book out, Monty. People, people want a coach on our uh, podcast, Monty. Yeah, I'll try and get him on for you. Yeah, love nah, it, Monty. Nah. Top man, you, Monty. I do want to, I want you to tell this story exactly like you told me on the bus, Monty, because I loved it. Um, I want you to tell me about the playoff final. Who was it against Shane? Because I know you did the research. Uh, Your playoff final. Uh, against Wolves or Burnley? Wolves. Burnley, the Burnley one where the the owner came in uh, the, to the change, change room before kickoff. I want you to tell me that story. Because I remember you saying you were really nervous for that game. It's the biggest game. Like For those that don't know, it's the biggest game. in, in It's up there in world football in terms of, in terms of money. Was this the championship playoff? You're talking about, yeah, it's championship. Yeah, when we lost to well, we've been relegated and we lost yeah, to Burnley, yeah. uh, 1 0 at Wembley. 
Um, but yeah, I'm just trying to think that that story, John. Just correct me if I'm wrong, but but the, the owner at the time was was Kevin McCabe, obviously a really really wealthy guy um, who really put his backing into the club for for many years and sort of like when he, when you're playing the game, you're there, you're buzzing, and I think the playoff final, the pressure. You talk about pressure, like yeah, I can't wow. even explain it. It's it's just mad pressure, and again, going into the game, you know, the owner obviously, you know, comes in, and 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 you know, not only the club, but for him, it's it's a massive worth, massive amount of money as well. And when when you're talking hundred, two hundred million dollars for for promotion, you know, that's you got to understand ninety minutes of a game, ninety minutes of a game is two hundred million pound or dollars, whatever, for promotion, or you're relegating you back in the championship, and you have to make, having to make cost cuts. So when the owner comes in and explains that sort of stuff, you know, as a player, you're thinking, wow, like, you know, again, this can catapult my career again, or it can all, all, always be detrimental. So again, just, just that pressure. I don't know if I've missed anything out there, Jonah. Tell me. No, I remember you, I remember you saying that he came in. I think um, bonuses. Is- yeah, he goes, if you win this game, I'll give everyone a two-year extension on your contract or something and and, and a huge bonus. And you were like... Yeah. <laughs> and again, a lot of plays in the contract. Right. So, you know, back in Europe, whoever, promotion to the Premier League is so lucrative that everyone will have in the contract. You know, it might be double your money. A lot of people, a lot of our team that year are double your money. So whatever you're on, 90 minutes later, you're on double your money. And, and, it, oh, and that's you're talking... Oh, I'd be shaking like a leaf. Under that pressure, you're playing under that pressure. There's no doubt you're going into the game thinking, "I'm on," you know, "I'm on this double of that." It's it's just added pressure, and you know, maybe some of the some of the smaller clubs that have gone up over the years have probably not had that pressure. I think if you remember, Blackpool went up that year. The owner at the start of the season said, "I'll give you something like six million quid to share between you if you get promoted." And the boys got promoted, and it went pro rata. And I think Charlie Adam ended up with. Like a massive sum of money, but you know, for the owner to get promoted to the Premier League, it was a no-brainer because he ended up with a massive, massive amount of money. And I think the story art God knows where all the money went, but just just that pressure. And again, you talk about pressure. Oh, I, that's I, pressure. I, that unless you've, it, there, unless you've been there, and I lost, I lost three player finals, so you know, unbelievably unlucky in, in in some of them. But it's that ninety minutes, and most of the time we finished third in the league, and we lost to the team that finished sixth. So again, there's oh. a mindset of the team that just breaks in there, or the team that's just missed out on automatic. And, and and again, the stats are unbelievable for that in, in England in playoffs. Yeah, I remember I, that oh, game. Uh, Wade Elliott scored a screamer, wasn't it? Yeah, early on. I mean, we, we conceded early on. I just remember in that game as well. But we'd we'd had a lot of the club had actually sold James B. We'd sold a couple of players, um, and we brought mm-hmm. in quite a lot of loan players. Um, and look. Kevin Blackwell, to be fair, high intensity, the way we worked, like to get to just miss out on automatic and finishing the playoffs. We beat Preston in the semi final, got to the final, and it was, we started well. I just remember Wade Elliott, yeah, put one past Paddy yeah, Kenny, yeah. top corner. And so we sort of huffed and puffed in the game. It was boiling hot, 90,000, 100,000 people at Wembley. And remember, oh. I remember running back at one point, and I think it was me and the Icelandic kid, can't remember his name, Goodison, oh. whatever. And it was, it was virtually an open goal and somehow I managed to block it and it hit me and hit the bat, hit the post and went out and I just thought, that's it, we're going to get back into this game and we huffed and puffed and we just didn't have enough quality in that game. But look, Burnley, again, Burnley finished sixth that, that season. They beat us towards the end of the season. A little bit of a bogey team for us. And again, we just missed out on automatic and 
you just sort of you're playing them in the final it's a bit like like a bit of a bogey team and they beat us 1-0 and yeah that, that was absolutely wow. devastating if, it, if the owner come in and said lads we're going to double your wages or whatever and extend your contract my ass would go like, 100% that's we'll get something in the early because of the salary cap you know I've always been used to it before I came out you do have win bonuses and you know, people are motivated by different stuff but you know, like the hoodies, what gets you to being a footballer is because you want to be a footballer. But when you get yeah. there, then you know maybe you want the nice cars, a nice house, whatever. So all of a sudden, money does become. Some people will say it doesn't. Some people will say it does. For me, growing up from nothing, I wanted to buy my mum and dad a house. I wanted to buy a nice car because I've never had any of that. So yeah, but you're talking the money that you miss out on a playoff final or, or, or being relegated. But even the win bonuses, like just dangling that carrot. I remember, you know, I remember you know, the win bonuses we had back in the day at Sheffield. Like it was certain where you are in the league, it was obviously a lot more money. So, you know, winning a game is not only, you know, winning a game is not only for the three points, you're winning it because everyone gets financially, um, you know, financially rewarded as well. So, over here, you can't do any of that. So, it's a bit like, again, going back, jumping back and forth from the league to to England. I remember when I came over here, we're flying to Perth, flying to Melbourne, and some of the boys were happy not to be traveling. And you're thinking, what? But they didn't get any, you don't get any more money for, for travelling and giving up your weekend and playing a game than you do for sitting on Terrigal Beach or Bondi Beach and having three days off, whatever it, whatever it was back in the day. And these, these are all things where I just couldn't understand. Like, I was a bit like... Do, do they still do that back in right, England, yeah. the, like the meeting before the season to set the bonuses? Because I remember being in one, and I'm pretty sure you would have been there months. And, yeah. and one of us, like, I'm not sure exactly the figures, but I was just down the back, just, yeah, just happy to be there. And... Uh, yeah, look again. What happened was, you know, we were successful, and all of a sudden, we went from this yeah. promotion bonus to, you know, you boys have got a chance of getting promoted. Everyone's on better wages, yeah. so we're going to bring the we're going to bring the promotion bonus down. And then it'd be like me, Chris Morgan, like some of the leaders arguing with this CEO. I always remember we had a CEO called Terry Robinson. I still speak to him now. Absolute legend, old guy from Bury, um, just proper old school. Like, I think Warnock brought him in, um, and. He'd literally just tell you to f off. We'd be in there going, Terry. Like in the day, like if we get promoted to the Premier League, the club's going to get that. And he's just going, you know what? Why don't you f off? Get out of here. Get out of my office and that. We go back and forth for like two weeks, and then we'd settle on some virtually what he offered us at the start. It was really. I remember. I remember one of the the one that stuck with me was like uh, it was like four days in in a holiday wherever you want if you get promotion. Yeah. yeah. And that was a big carrot. Oh week. my god! Massive party at the end. Where of we? Where, Shay, you be going clean to IB for you. <laughs> that, again, back in the day, even at the end of the season, successfully, the owner would pay for everyone to go to IB for Marbella for a week. And then because people would drop out, like some of the older boys, there'd be like 10 plane tickets and we'd be just grabbing the young boys, like Shane on that saying, you wouldn't, have to, you wouldn't have to grab me, man, so it wouldn't be in the airport. <laughs> oh, that's what I mean. But then just a team around, grabbing some of the young boys and, and, and bringing them along as well. That, again, talk about culture and stuff. That They're the things that, that I always yeah. remember. From from when I was younger, weren't you in Monty's suitcase? Yeah, it's poor banter that from me. Poor banter. Oh, <laughs> uh, Monty, I, I want to screen share something because we came across it today, and I was honestly in t- I was in tears. No, no, it's a short, it's a short clip. Monty. You would have seen to share the screen, time, right? Cracker. No, no, this this is gold. Uh, can you see my screen, Monty? Yeah, that's you in America or something. Yeah, yeah, oh, I've got it. I've got it. Oh, it's like seven. <laughs> I've called it a rash as well. 
Mons, oh, Mons, so Mons, just, before, just before we play this video, Mons, can you uh, just explain to the listeners what, like, what time... Can you remember this game? Yeah, look, I, again, I don't remember exactly what game it was, but it was... Uh, yeah, I remember remember the dressing room and, and what was said. And yeah. <laughs> well, Was this a half no. time in a game, yeah? Well, looking at Bromby's shirt on there, he never had any dirt on anyway, so... <laughs> <laughs> it could be before the game, it could be after. Um... For guy, for everyone that's listening, right? It's a clip of um, Monty sat in the corner of the change room with his top off, and uh, Neil- <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's something you do, Jules, just in the corner with your top off. Um, and uh, Neil Warnock's about to give like some team talk, and, th- and this is what he says. I hope you, c- I hope you can hear the audio, Mont. Here we go. Here we go. Let's fucking get leather. Yeah. When we've got it and fucking believe, and I think we've got a fucking chance. We've all got to be like that on fucking Monty's chest, haven't we? <laughs> oh my god! I just want to, I want to play that again because that is an absolute classic line. Listen to this one. Fucking believe, and I think we've got a fucking chance. We've all got to be like that on fucking Monty's chest, haven't we? A fucking rash. <laughs> Oh, that's oh, brilliant! Well, these, that, listen, these are the things I've got a big birthmark on my chest, <laughs> like a big red birthmark. And, and do you remember Cozzy? Remember yeah, yeah. Cozzy? He's the funniest player I've ever played 100% with. Guy called, a guy called Rob Kozluk. I swear, God, doesn't matter if you think someone's funny that you've played with. This guy, everything was funny about him. And I, I can remember he got he gave a penalty away against Stephen Gerrard at Anfield, and. It, He's the only person that can find something funny about it. And as he came off, he's tapped Warnock on the back. He's Warnock dragged him off. He's tapped Warnock in the back going, cheers, gaffer, cheers, gaffer. Just, he just did crazy stuff. But again, I had a big birthmark on my chest, which I've still got to this day. Obviously, it's a birthmark. But yeah, Cozzy used to say stuff like, oh, he's got a rash on him. Or like if someone had, there's players that had like a, like a mole with hairs on it. He'd be going, oh, stop, stop. You've got a spider on you. And they'd just slap you. <laughs> It's crazy stuff like that, but again, Warnock, in terms of the culture and the banter, he'd pick up on things that were banter and he'd use it. And, and again, these are the things that, that he did, but yeah, that, that was funny, man. That's, <laughs> that's funny. Oh my God. We literally had that on the projector screen today. And when he was like, we all need to be, be like Monty's chest. Uh, uh, a foot, like, a fucking rash. Oh, I was gone. I was absolutely yeah, gone. Can you tell us, um, can you, t- uh, Monty, I know you've probably got a million and one stories, but, can you tell us what he was like as a gaffer and maybe like a really good story about Warnock? I know people only see what they see on YouTube, but I, I watch them clips on YouTube and I want to I want to run through a wall for him, mate. He's like, sounds like an unbelievable gaffer. Yeah, look, I mean, like, in terms of like in terms of a guy, like you say, for me, smart guy, like understood people, treat everybody differently. You know, in terms of if you're old, if you if you're young, uh, like you said, he had banter. But look, he was always approachable and. One thing I learned from him that I'd always do, you know, as I, when I'm a coach is if you were starting, if you weren't starting, you know, if you were starting and all of a sudden you weren't on the bench or, you know, he'd pull you one-on-one in the boot room and he'd, 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 he'd be honest with you, it was awkward. It was an awkward conversation at times. And, you know, the boys you'd sit in the dressing room, you'd see him go up to someone and tap him and say, can I have a word? And at that point, everyone's behind going, ah, oh, he's been bent, <laughs> whatever. But, you know, the times where, you know, you might have started a game and you won the game and done unbelievable. I remember we played against Leeds in the quarter-final at the FA Cup. We beat them 1-0. I got man in the match. And then the semi-final against Arsenal, I thought, 100%, I'm going to, I'm going to start the game. And 
I remember him pulling me and just sort of, you know, one-on-one, just explaining, just saying, listen, you're your best player against Leeds. You know, it's been a tough decision, but for whatever reason, I'm going to go with, I think, I think it might have been Stuart McCall. Oh, sorry about that, boys. Turn that off, man. Um, and he sort of said, you know, I'm going to go with Stuart McCall for experience and, and this and that. And, you know, what when someone explains it to you, obviously it hurts, you're devastated, but just the fact that he always took time to, to go out of his way and say, listen, you're going to be playing. And, and he'd throw something in like, you know what, you're not playing this game, but I want you ready for next week. We've got Man United at home, whatever. You know, I'm thinking about it for that game. And you knew that it wasn't guaranteed that you'd play, but, but just the way he handled people. But some of the, some of the, the funny things, man, just... He would just Kick. Give us one, please. Like every, uh, just like every pre-season, like teams are going to Dubai and going everywhere. We used to go to Cornwall because that's where I lived. <laughs> we had this massive house in Cornwall and he had like a nine-hole put, like pitch and put on it. So again, we got invited to tournaments in Italy and Dubai, everywhere. And he'd bring, it, he'd bring the letter in and go, oh, look at this, boys. <laughs> Juventus offering us a tournament. He'd go, all, all, in, all paid, fully inclusive. Uh, do you know what? Rip it up in front of you and go, we're not going there, off to Cornwall. And just like, come on, man. Just, just some of the stuff we do, but like you just, you go to Cornwall and you'd be training down in Cornwall and then Blackie and the coaching staff would be taking it and he wouldn't be there because he used it a bit of time to go home and refresh. And, and, and again, you talk about spending time with his family and stuff and he knew when he was there, he was there. And just, all the time, he would just appear in this like, old classic car so you're training, and you just heard this beep, and you'd look up, and there's just this like old classic car just cru- like cruising into the training <laughs> ground. And it's like the session would just stop, and everyone's just laughing. And then, anyway, he'd come down, he'd go, hey, get on with the session. And then, as soon as he came out, the intensity would just go through the roof. Like it was, again, just having that. I think being a, being a good coach and a good head coach and manager, I think you have to have that. You have to have that ability to come into an atmosphere with grown men or whatever, and, and everyone lift the standards. and Again, it was tight. He knew when to mess around. He knew when, when to be serious. Um, and, and what we do is we go to his 9-0 pitch and putt golf course and he'd be like, hey, have a look at the greens and stuff. And um, we used to stay at this, we used to stay at this, golf, this golf club called Thorne and it was just in the middle of nowhere. So you got like 25 lads in the middle of nowhere cruising around in these golf carts playing golf. Couldn't go anywhere. And then it just the next year you went back, he'd have a, a golf cart from... Trafon Golf at his house, so he's obviously like they've given him a golf cart because of all the business that that he's taken over the years. But just funny oh, things like that, and again, just that team bonding and that camaraderie, <clears throat> sort of build it, and he'd get everyone round and and any player that he'd sold the year before, he'd like he'd name that hole like the Marcus <laughs> Ben hole, or any player that that he'd sold, he'd, he'd just have a laugh and go, oh, "This is a Marcus Ben hole," and just yeah, it, it. funny. But he was always um he was always sort of animated on the sideline. What would he be? Would he be hammering you? Just Would he like be hammering you if you weren't at it? Oh, again, he demanded. He demanded. He gave hundred percent. You know what? He, you know, he'd hammer everybody, but he didn't hold grudges. So if he knew you were giving hundred percent, he didn't care. You know, at the end of the day, everyone makes mistakes. But that's why I think he just had that drive and competitiveness mm. in him, and that that's infectious. It's infectious as a player. You're going. He wants to win. You know, I want to win, and he wants to win. He wants to win, and I think. Like you say, just 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 this competitive driving again. You just go off on one at the sideline. He'd be hamming the refs. You know, he'd actually tell the subs at times if you're a sub. Sometimes he'd grab the sub and say, "Go up behind that linesman and tell him this and tell him that." And as a player, <laughs> players are going, "Oh, not me, Gaffer." He'd look around and literally put your head down. 
good three on the bench because you know that he dash it and do something crazy. But he was just he was that desperate to win. Um, like you said, Shane, mad, but then just funny. He didn't yeah, see all yeah. the funny stuff he it's used fun. to do. And then little things where you know mm. we come from a we come from a culture now in football. A lot of the time, it's you know you have to you have to train every day. You have to do this. You have to do that. And I think we forget the human element and. Me doing my pro license now, a lot of it is about, you know, what what are you going to do in this situation? What if you take over a team and you've got these players and, and you want to play this system? So, again, it's it's managing situations. And what he was really good at was was managing situations. And, you know, he'd bring players, sometimes he'd bring players in. And you know, I've shared this story before, but a player like Barry Hales, who was at Fulham, good goal scorer, top guy, you know, came at Sheffield and it was pretty obvious after a couple of games that he didn't really fit our style of play um, and instead of like making it an issue yeah he probably had a two three year deal like Neil would like just manufacture a move for him somewhere so within like a couple of months we go down to Millwall and you know Barry Barry told the story like the next day Baz is like said boys I'm, I'm off to Millwall and we're like what and he's like yeah right when he arrived at the hotel like Warnock had organised uh, Dennis Wise to be there so he'd obviously already already organised it. So he rings Barry Hale, Barry comes down, him and Dennis have a chat, and the next day, Barry's now a Millwall player. So instead of like any of that stress and having players there that are unhappy, you know, he, he just had a way of, of managing managing wow. stuff like that. And you look back now... Cared, like, cared about your players. No, those those videos are like famous, aren't they, on the internet? Yeah, yeah. the amount of times people have sent them to me, I'll just laugh and say, right, I've seen it 50 times, but it's just, just so funny, man. Like you said, it, the guy's just... He's like off his head at times, but look, you look at his career, the amount of teams that he's had promoted from different leagues. And for me, the hardest thing is winning the league and getting promotion. And he's done it, what, with three or four teams out of the Premier League, which the Championship's the hardest league in the world. And he's done it on low budgets. He's done it by, I think Cardiff were somewhat stupid, like 50 to 1 that season to get promoted to the Premier League. So he just, again, he's got this way of bringing players in together and, and, and getting results because at the end of the day, football's about winning, it's about results. Team at team level, at any level, from well, not any level, when you start to get older, for me, it's it's about winning. It's about winning is he, yeah. um, is he the I best manager you've played under? Oh, there's certain things with him, you know, for sure. You know, he gave me my debut, you know, I owe a lot to him. You know, he saw him, he saw in me, um, you know, uh, what he wanted and, and some of that could have a, the player that could have a sustained career. But look, I work with some top coaches, Brian Kidd. Um, unbelievable coach, obviously Man United, Man City, uh, Brian Robson, Kevin Blackwell. You know, uh, top, some some top coaches, some some top coaches. I came over here. Obviously, Arnie signed me. Um, you know, good good Australian coach involved in the national team now. You know, tactically very astute. So I think as a coach, you know, you take a lot of stuff from coaches that you've worked with, good stuff and bad stuff. And I think that's what moulds you and defines you as a coach and a person is. is piecing your beliefs and I've got my own beliefs and my own game model you know in terms of playing style and that's what I've developed as a player over 20 years and, and and as a coach probably starting six seven years ago so you know a lot of them things I look back and go you know that worked I like that I didn't like that you know I know that's successful I know that's not successful and you just sort of mold yourself into you know what you believe and I think if you stick to what your beliefs are then as a player and as a coach I think you can only be successful. Well, you just mentioned some some good gaffers there. To be fair, um, I do want to talk about Kyle Walker and like Phil Jagielka. Um, what like obviously they're 
went on like Kyle Walker's absolutely flying now and obviously Phil Jagielka had an unbelievable career at Everton but when you were playing with them boys did they really stand out and what made the the difference for them to to push on really? Uh, Look I mean me and Jags we we came through the system together Um, we grew up together we lived together for many years and Jags to be honest man just a funny 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 guy like nothing phased him like he was never like he was obviously always good banter, but then you know at times it'd be like it just not selfish, but he had that selfish side to him where he was just selfish, and you have to be you know if you want to get to the top, you have to be selfish, you know because again you know athletically he was I mean athletically running wise he was so quick over short distance and he just used to block everything like he got to shoot and he block it like it, it, it athleticism really natural athlete quite tall and, and again just just his mindset was nothing phased him you know and, and the fact that you know he moved on and look when we got relegated from the Premier League that was the biggest injustice in, in world football for me you know Tevez and Mascherano at West Ham owned by a third party and totally illegal in the Premier League totally illegal and you know Tevez virtually kept West Ham, West Ham up on his own and we went down by one goal goal difference and West Ham beat Man United away from home at Old Trafford 1-0, which never happens. So it was like everything that could have gone wrong did have gone wrong that season towards the end because we were flying. I think we were 10 points clear at one point. But look, getting relegated again, getting relegated for me was was total injustice. And I think if we'd have stayed up that year, we had Jags, we had Kyle Walker coming through, Harry Maguire, Kyle Norton, Matty Loughton. We had some... You know, Sheffield United has produced some top world, mm. world-class, produced the most expensive defender in the world, the lad from Sheffield. You know him, Shane. Oh, good lad, honest lad, Harry Maguire. Still speak to him now. Kyle Walker from Sheffield. And Kyle was a complete athlete. So I remember he was on loan at Northampton. Um, and we were pushing hard that year. It was the year we lost to Burnley in the playoff final. And we were pushing hard that year. We had a good team, like competitive. And then we had a couple of injuries. I think uh, we sold one or two players. Um, and I remember I think me and Chris Morgan went in to speak to Kevin Blackwell who was a coach at the time um, and Carl Walker had come back from Northampton he's only what 17 I think um, and Carl Norton so there was him and Carl Norton and Carl Norton had broken the first team before him and and Carl Walker went went to Northampton so when Carl came back from Northampton I mean we were training and I, just a freak like I talk about speed like he could recover from a situation that you just don't think he's going to get there and he'd make up 20 metres like in a split second just unbelievable athlete but Kyle was never the most confident you know I used to spend a lot of time with Kyle and he used to say oh you know I don't know if I'm good you know I don't know if I'm good enough and you know I'm, I'm not sure about this and I used to say hey you've got everything you just got to believe in yourself you know so I always remember with Kyle like like you said you just looking at him going this cat this is just a freak of an athlete you know, and just just like they say, the speed, and then he'd have a little trick in him, and he'd go past you, and once he went past you, you're gone. Like it doesn't matter, experienced pro, young kid. If he went past you, and then 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 set off, you're not getting anywhere near him. And I remember he started training with the first team, and me and Chris Morgan, obviously top top player, the captain, absolute beast. We obviously had a good relationship with Kevin Blackwell, and we sort of said, listen. Why don't you throw Kyle in? Like we had a couple of injuries. I think there was 10 games to go before the end of the season. Obviously, you're fighting for that promotion. So talk about pressure. And he just said, you know what? Let's just throw him in. And I think threw him in in one game. We had him right back, Kyle Norton left back. So two lads from Sheffield that were both 17. And I just, like you said, just 
unbelievable on a big pitch on a nice flat pitch when you give him the ball just the, the speed that I would overlap people and just get back and recover and then he just his confidence grew and he playing with him just going oh, this kid's 17 wow he's 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 got everything and like I said I always said to Carl even when he wasn't confident I said mate you play for England like you are as a fullback that's when fullback started bombing on and the game changed a little bit and he just went on and on. I think we played ten. I think he played eight or ten games that season, right up to the playoff final. And we lost in that playoff final again. We lost in that playoff final. We had players like him. We had Harry Maguire coming up through the ranks. And I think Tottenham Tottenham came in after that game and bought him, Carl Walker and Carl Norton for ten million pound back in the day. And that was for both of them. And I think I'm not sure. Like, I think about seven million was for Carl Norton and about three million for Carl Walker. And you look now, and Carl Norton went on to a top career as well, playing at Swansea, a lot of Premier League games. But Carl just, he went to Tottenham, and then I think after a while, it took him a while to settle in. And I think after that, he just, like, he just went on and on. And again, 50, $100 million to, to Man City, he's won everything. You know, again, wow. top, top lad. You know? I remember that uh, Walker's day because it was there. And I remember, um, I think. So like his first touch of the ball, he done something really well, or, or he might have overlapped and crossed it. And from that moment on, the fans you could feel the fans got straight on his uh, on his side. You know what I mean? And every time he touched the ball, then the fans were yeah. were wanting some, and he just kept going and going. And I think I said this in the last podcast. I I think it was nine games or whatever, but he just smashed them nine games, and again he's gone. He hasn't looked back since. Yeah, he did. I think one one of them games was the Sheffield derby. One of them games. You speak about you and Morgs when you and Morgs went into to Blackwell's office and said, "Give Kyle a chance." Like, if if you guys didn't do that, would he have got them nine games? Look, you never know. I think at the end of the day, like he was that talented, he was always going to get his chance. But like you said, right place, right time, and you know maybe he wouldn't have got his chance if 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 a couple of the boys hadn't have been injured. But the fact of the matter is, he came back from Northampton. Opportunity, an opportunity mm. presented it, and he grabbed it with both hands. And like I said, what a career, man! What a career! I said, text him now and then. We, uh, I tried to catch up with him last time I was in Manchester, but just, just again, just top, top, top players, but athletically, and but just a just a mindset of once I got that belief, there was there was no stopping him. I've got a question for you, man. That was unbelievable. I, I love it. Um, what is the craziest thing you've seen in football apart from Usain Bolt trying to become a professional? <laughs> Um, oh, craziest thing in football probably being involved in that the Battle of Bramall Lane so if you go on YouTube it was Sheffield United against West Brom it was in the Warnock era at the start and Gary Megson and, and, and Warnock hated each other like literally again you're talking in England man managers will hate each other like there's already build up there's passion and, and, and you get all that before the game's even started and again uh, you know, Warnock had a way of rubbing people up the wrong way. <laughs> uh, and him and Megson hated each other. I remember we played at Bramall Lane. And uh, listen, there were some good players on, on the pitch at the time. Good, good, good players. Um, and this game started and it was like just hatred from the start. And I think it was in the towards the end of the second half. We'd had one sent off and then we had two. Then there was a fight. And then, anyway, big George Santos, who's a big French guy. Top, beautiful guy, man. Honestly, like top guy, but... Must have been six foot five French guy. And the previous year, Andy Johnson, who who was at West Brom, used to be at Forest, he'd caught him with an elbow and bust his cheekbone. So he'd literally had a fractured cheekbone, missed about six months. Anyway, he just got back fit. So 
again, George was back in the team. And again, it was the first time you're coming up against Andy Johnson, who obviously George hated because it, it was a nasty elbow. And George came off the bench. And it, I just remember I was on the bench at the time. I was about 18. I just remember being on the bench and he just, he couldn't have wrote the script. I think the ball rolled and Andy Johnson turned and, and, and George Santos has run about 20 metres. And the, when he hit him, he literally spun up in the air, flipped over and landed. And it was straight red. So he got a straight red. And then his mate, Patrick, Patrick Sufo, the striker, Cameroon striker, came running in, headbutted someone, straight red. <laughs> we, we had three, three players sent off virtually in about 20 minutes. Two of them on, on the dot. And I think we're down to what, seven men, uh, seven or eight men. So the game's going on and it's like, we'd made, we'd made all the subs, so we couldn't make any more subs. And then I think uh, Keith Curl or Rob Ullerform went down with a hamstring. So it was like, they were injured, pulled oh, the hamstrings, so they had to come off. So at that point, I think the game states that 11 against six, it's game's off. <laughs> so literally, the ref abandoned the game and everything just erupted. Like, uh, it was just mental. Like it was... Wow. Look back, and as a young kid, you're just going, I loved it because you're going, ah, this is mental. But, but, but Warnock never said we want any, we want a, a replay. He was like, you know what, I have the three points. He never said we want a replay or whatever, but it just became this unbelievable. Like, I don't, I don't know if it's ever happened in England since, but it was just a crazy experience. <laughs> I love that, man. So, Mons, we put um, some questions out, or we put a post up on the, on the page to ask um, any people that follow. Um, to let you know that you were coming on and um, yeah. a couple of people have brought in some questions so we fly through a few quick questions with you um, yeah. and then um, and then we can keep cracking on Lee do you want to do that? Yeah I'm just looking through uh, some of the best ones so there's a lot of comments so uh, pay the family is put <laughs> which player would you say your style of play resembles I like that one I look, for me at a young age, um, I, was, I used to love David Batty. Like the way David Batty played, he just used to uh, just tackle people, get the ball, keep it simple. So, you know, I, I sort of model myself on on him a little bit. Um, obviously, being from Leeds and he was from Leeds as well. Obviously, went on to play for England. Great career. So, yeah, look, back in the day, that was sort of where I modelled myself on a little bit. And um, it was what actually... Kids? I met him... I met him once, um, well, not, not, not once, but the first sort of time I met him, obviously I was playing for Sheffield and he sort of said, I like the way he play, I love the way he play, it reminds me of me. And I thought, you know what, that was like, I was looking up to that guy and for him to say that, he won a league with Leeds United and it was just, it wow. was awesome. Leeds legend. That's class. Leeds legend. Yeah. We got another question there, Shaz. I can see you going with your comment. Yeah, no, the standard one. Um, what's the best advice for a young player, months? I think we've covered it, like in terms of you know, belief, hard work, dedication. It's not rocket science, you know. You can have all the talent in the world, but if you're not willing to sacrifice and just give everything, and I mean everything, to, to, to get where you want to be, then, you know, you can't ever look back and blame anybody else because, look, you need a bit of luck. But like I said, sacrifice, you know, determination, you know, coming over bad things where you have an injury, everyone has an injury or something happens in someone's life, like a bad incident and, you can use that to fuel you or you can feel sorry for yourself. And I think, like you said, it's it's not rocket science in any sport, in any business. If you work hard and you dedicate yourself, you can always, yeah. always yeah. get what what's, what's crazy is that a lot of the pros that we've spoken to have just said the same thing. So a, a lot of the other questions, Mons, we're going to cover right now in our last segment, which is the quick fire question round. It's, a, it's my favourite favorite <laughs> part of the podcast. Let's go. Um, are you ready for this, Mons? I love this. Ready, 
So you have five seconds to answer. Uh, and then if the boys pick up, yeah, if the boys pick up on anything, we might just have a little quick chat about it at the end. We didn't even cover that Usain Bolt part, by the way. I won't get into that. Uh, are you ready, Mons? I'm ready, I'm ready. 25 questions, but we'll fly through it already. All right. Best player you've played with? Michael Tong. Oh. Best player you've played against? Oh, Stevie Gerrard. Oh, don't say that. Oh, man. Don't say that with him. Anybody Boys. else? I can't believe you even play it. Oh, my. Best player at Chef United when you were there. Best what? Player at Chef United when you were there. Uh, well, that season, Michael Brown had, uh, I think he scored 20-odd goals from the championship. He was unbelievable that season, but played with some top players. That's, that's a hard one. Best ground you've played at? Uh, for me, Old Trafford. Oh, no way. Man. Everybody says that. I know. Most hostile ground you've played at? Ah, Millwall, 100%. It's like... Oh, my God. Literally, it's like they hate everybody. And it's yeah. it's funny. We enjoyed it. But just taking a throw in there, it's like literally you're going, risking your life to get the ball. That's <laughs> right. Yeah, LaFonda <laughs> said the same thing, yeah. <laughs> um, best moment as a footballer? Ah, promotion at the Premier League, definitely. Unbelievable. A player that you... Oh, no one's answered this yet, but see if you answer <laughs> No, I don't. A player that you think is stealing a living? <laughs> uh, I could name a few, but yeah, it's probably... Yeah, I can't. <laughs> love it. I <laughs> uh, love it. Uh, number nine, what do, you, what do you enjoy more, coaching or playing? Playing, you can't. You can't. Can't emulate playing, but I think coaching and the effort you put in and seeing the improvement in, in people and players is a massive, you know, is, is, is something that's really enjoyable. But yeah, play, yeah, you can't be a player. Sheffield United or Central Coast Mariners? I, played, I only played for two clubs. I was successful at both, so I'll have to split it down the middle. Oh, oh, get off the fence, man. Get off the fence. I love it. Nike or Adidas? Nike, I started with Adidas. Funny story, actually. I started with Adidas. I was with Adidas for years. I moved over here and contacted the guy from Adidas. And he said, oh, no, we, uh, we can't give you any boots. So, uh, I was like, all right, no problem. <laughs> anyway, the guy from Nike gave me Nike boots. And then, yeah, I really found Nike boots really comfy. And I was more of a tempo, man. Really oh, love it, man. I, we ask this question all the time. Night out with the lads or night in with the missus? I think it changes, doesn't it? At the start, real lads, and then as you get older, it's, 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 uh, I, I agree. Safe again, man. Messi. Safe. Messi or Ronaldo? For me, Messi, just total unpredictability. Every All day. Best pair of boots you've ever had? I'd probably go with um, Tiempo's, like the leather, you know, like I say, that feel oh. you had on the ball. I used to like them nice and tight, but no, just, 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 yeah. Nike tempos, I think. Solid, yeah. Monty, there weren't that many, but best goal you've ever scored? I said there weren't many. There's a few, mate. <laughs> <laughs> the, the goal from about 30, 40 yards against Perth in the A-League and back at Sheffield. Yeah. I think my first ever Birmingham City. Um, I think we beat them 4-1. Uh, that, that was memorable. Yeah, I love that, man. Um, a player that you thought... Or played that you think should be playing at a higher level? I said this before. I mean, look, I mentioned Michael Tong, uh, Shane O'Tell. You look, 
he was a bit younger than me and Jags. He came through and just unbelievable player, just technically unreal fit. And look, he moved to Stoke City. So when when um, when he moved to Stoke City, they were in the Premier League, and I just felt it was the wrong move for him, the wrong club. He was look. Remember, he scored two goals against Liverpool. Be at Liverpool in the semi-final of the cup at Bramall Lane. He scored two goals. We watch uh, just just unbelievable player, um, but never really went on from there. And I think if he'd have gone to another club and Liverpool talking about him at the time, if he'd have gone to Liverpool at the time, I think he would have been yeah, would have had an unbelievable different. career. Yeah, he's quality. Yeah, interesting. Best um, best piece of advice you ever got during your career. Look, I'll probably say it's from my dad. You know, when I was younger, I used to go home and if I had a bad game, he didn't, you know, he didn't know anything about football. Probably my mum and dad together. And if I said oh, I didn't play well, he said, "Well, work harder and work harder and, and don't whinge about it." So I thought, wow. "What's good advice?" And I've had, I've had a lot of good advice over the years, but back in the day, that was that was probably good advice. Uh, best football game you've seen live? <clears throat> oh, live! Jeez. Um, Stitch up. That's a hard one. I've had a stumble. I've seen I've seen some good games live, but I'll probably God I'll probably go with when Leeds beat Liverpool. I think Viduka scored four goals. Oh wow! Come on, Come on the Leeds. Are you a Leeds fan, Monty? Yeah? Look, at Leeds, Sheffield. My that's where I grew up. Sheffield, massive part of my life, and I'm always be a blade. But like I say, Leeds is where I grew up as well, and had part of my career there. So. Oh. Hey. Both, both. Who's um? I think we know the answer to this, but your best mate in football? Oh, that's hard, man. That is so hard. Got a few. <sighs> Again, Jags, Tony, we grew up together. I've got other boys that I still keep in touch with that were in the same youth team. And yeah, oh, that's a hard one. Oh, numerous. like it. I'll be tagging Phil Jaggy Elkin in this. He won't be happy. Yeah, get him on, even get him out of bed. <laughs> <laughs> uh, best ever music album. Michael Jackson, definitely. Oh my god, I rate that. I rate that highly. Big Jackson. Big uh, I think I think you mentioned this before, but funniest player you've come across in your career. Gotta be uh, Rob Coslock by a mile. Just he used to hammer everybody. In fact, when when Warnock signed a new player, he used to get Cosy to introduce him. And I swear to God, he would absolutely slaughter the player. No matter where he'd come from, he would just say, Here's this player, and he would just absolutely slaughter him. <laughs> They're standing there. There's this little white, white, real pale kids, ginger hair, creepy voice, and the boys would just be rolling around laughing. And the new signing's like, what have I just signed for? <laughs> Unbelievable. I can see I remember, Shane laughing there. So. I remember that, I don't know, one of the managers, we were doing like a warm-up, and because he, he used to just be the one always talking. But then I think the manager was like, the only reason you're here is to, to keep everybody laughing because you're a terrible footballer. <laughs> But it, they had him just in the dressing room to, to keep everyone going, you know. He was a legend. You know what? Again, what a top player, though. Some of, some of the games he played, like his technique, and mm. to just do some crazy stuff. Like he'd chest the ball back 20 metres to the keeper. Like just have the audacity to do that. But again, because he was so funny, I think that detracted a bit from what a good player he was. <laughs> but funny guy, man. Just, just used to hammer people all the time. I rate that. You know, I rate it. Um, two more to go. Including all sports, who is the greatest athlete ever? Our greatest athlete ever. Looking, talking athletes. I mean, watching the Michael Jordan thing at the minute. Mm. Just, just, just watch it and go, wow! Like, what a unbelievable yeah. winner, competitor. Just the way he drove the standards with everybody in his team. And I think again, watching that series, I think a lot of people have actually gone. 
wow, you know, this is what winning is. This is how you win games. And he just demanded off himself and off others so much. And watching that, I've never been a big basketball fan, but watching that, I've been compelled and just gone, wow, look, this guy's a freak. Like, what an unbelievable athlete and player. But yeah. saying that he wasn't that good when he was younger to get where he did, you're just going, I'm like, I got myself a new pair of Air Jordans after watching it. It's been unbelievable watching it. Mods, uh, the last one we always ask it, Jules hates it. Describe yourself in three words. Hardworking, honest, um, and family man. Yeah, I love it. Love it. Yeah, yeah. Three different phrases, but you can't have words. That's good. Mons, listen, you're an absolute just, legend and what a podcast, what a podcast. Just before you go, Mons, um, what's the future look like for Monty? Uh, I know obviously you're coaching at the minute. Um, one day is the dream to, to manage the Blades back back home or is Australia where you're going to set up for? for like- oh, look, I think the dream right now is, is, to, is to finish my pro licence off, which I've, I'm not far off doing. Um, I think we'll be doing it on Zoom, the rest of it, which is a shame, but I think finish the pro licence off yeah, I want I want to coach at, at the highest level. Um, so yeah, not the future for me. I've, like you said, I've worked a long time to get the pro license. UEFA for pro license is not easy. It's a lot of work. I just think yeah, everything that I've I've done in football and I've experienced a lot. You know, I think coach education for you boys and again something that you should always do. You know, I've spent time at Man United. I've spent time at Sheffield United. I've I've been into Leeds. You know, I've I've used time and to go and educate myself. And, and there's a million articles out there and. You know, it's actually come. There's a lot of stuff that can consume me, but I think if you stick to your beliefs as a coach, and you look at some of the articles that that you know that that you know are similar to your beliefs and stuff, there's some good stuff out there. Um, but yeah, for me, I just you know, I'm just going to carry on with this. I'm I'm learning all the time. I think you learn every day. I don't think you ever stop learning. Um, but yeah, hopefully at some point I can I can progress and. And, and coach at the highest level and that's that's obviously ambition I did it as a player um, and probably people didn't think I would do so hopefully as a coach I can I can go that way as well but uh, like you said it's a lot of hard work and, and sacrifice and especially with a young family but I've got a supportive wife I've got an assistant over here that's Portuguese that you should get on he's an unbelievable coach like coached at Benfica and uh, in, in, in Italy in Africa he's just speaks five languages so just working with people like that and I was fortunate to bring him over here to work with some of the young players and, and just picking off people I don't think you can ever be the smartest person in the room you should always be people smarter than you and if you can take off them and use your strengths and, and, and you know add that to their strengths I think like you guys as coaches I'm sure you've all got your different qualities but kids are lucky to, to, to work with you guys and I wish you all the best uh, moving forward what a podcast. Thank you so much for your time, mate. Yeah, thank you. We could probably speak to you for it's hours. Good. Listen, it's been good to chat. We could talk, talk for another mm. 10 hours, but listen, it's great to see you guys. Shano. Yeah, top man, months. Remember my number, yeah. Remember my number. Not heard oh, yeah. It's gone, months. It's gone, me phones. I'll get, it, get it off, Jonah. I'll get listen, it back. I'll, I'll come down and see you boys at some point. In the, in the, now, now the world's yeah, starting turning again a little bit, so. Thank you so much, yeah. mate. We really appreciate it. And um, last thing safe, I'll finish mate. on. Last thing I'll finish on is the online stuff you've done and that, the way you've innovated with that. I think it's awesome. And the boys I coach, the constant message for me has been, if you can't use this this situation of being locked at home and in your garden with a football and and some objects and improve yourself and go out running, if you can't use this time to improve yourself as a player and a person, then when you come back, the players that have done that, 
they'll they'll be ahead of you and catching that up is always is always hard. So you say a lot of the, a lot of the players out there keep working hard, keep doing your individual stuff at home, you know, until you can get back in and work with these guys and, and back in at your football clubs because you can't waste a day. You should never waste a day. Top up, man. Top man. Again, mate, thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it. Yes, legends, thank you so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed that podcast. Please follow us on all our social media platforms and don't forget to rate and subscribe to our podcast. See you on the next one.